Sturdivant. Uh, <laughs> Dave Sturdivant is uh, absent, excuse. Um, the minutes of April 14th, 2022 were included in the packet. Did anyone have any questions or concerns, corrections? Um, seeing none, is there a motion to approve the minutes of April 4th, 2022? A motion to approve the minutes. So moved by Hutchinson. Second. Second by Fraser. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, the motion passes. Um, Oh, I apologize. I should have asked staff members to identify themselves. We like to do that each time as we um, may have different members of the public present. So uh, just a little backtracking here and staff members, could you please identify yourselves? Sarah Gardner, Climate Action Coordinator. Daniel Bissell, Climate Action Analyst. All right. Um, so at this time, uh, we will take public comment on items that are not on the agenda. Uh, we do note that um, some folks we know are interested in the 24-7 initiative, and that is coming up later in the agenda. But anyone who would like to speak on items not on the agenda are welcome to address the commission for up to three minutes or five minutes if interpretation or other assisted speaking is needed. And due to the public meeting laws, we can only listen to your issue and not engage in discussion or take action on an item that's not on the agenda. So is there anyone from the public who would like to speak to a topic? Good afternoon, Commission. Uh, my name is Redmond Jones. I'm just here to introduce myself. I'm uh, the um, Deputy City Manager. I've been with the city now eight months. And I am trying to work my way through all the different commissions. So um, thank you for the work you do. And uh, uh, feel free to contact my office should you be of need of anything. Thank you. Great to meet you. And thanks for making time for, uh, for our meeting. Um, I will note that Stratus Giannakuris has joined the meeting at approximately 335. Um, and just a, a reminder, commissioners, please, if you can, before, if. Uh, at some point you're speaking to say your last name for our, our note takers. Uh, that's always much appreciated to them. All right, um, anyone else? All right, well, seeing none, we will move on to item number five, which are our announcements uh, beginning informational updates from staff. All right, so the first item is a recap of action items from the previous meeting of which we had three. The first was that I was to put a press release about the Energy Blitz uh, volunteer sign-up, or rather forward that on to all the commission members, which I did following the last meeting. Um, the next was to include the annual report in the May agenda packet. Um, hopefully you all saw that it was there, and we'll use that for our discussion later in the meeting today. And then the third was to meet with the Solar Project Prioritization Working Group, what a mouthful, and set a date for that group to meet. Um, we did do that. We met on April 19th and had a fairly robust discussion and are um, at work setting up a second meeting now. The next item then under staff updates is the finalized working group assignments. You would have found this document in your agenda packet as well. Um, this includes assignments for a couple uh, commission members that we hadn't heard from prior to the last meeting. 
Um, I hopefully had a chance to look through that and it accurately reflected uh, what we had discussed in the previous meeting, but if not, of course, reach out to us and we can correct anything that's amiss. The next item um, has to do with our June meeting location and our July meeting date. We need to make two alterations to our normal plan of events. Um, next month for our June meeting, the city council will be meeting in these chambers. Funny enough, they're going to use the city council chambers for the city council meeting, which means we needed to find an alternative location. Um, staff have secured meeting room A in the Iowa City Public Library for our meeting at that time. Um, and we're working with cable staff to record the meeting the way we normally do. I will, of course, send out a reminder ahead of the event so that you all uh, know to go to the library instead of here. Um, we just wanted to give you a heads up in this meeting so that you could start planning ahead accordingly. The next item then is the July meeting date. Our July meeting date is July 4th, which coincides with a federal holiday. City Hall will not be open and we assume you would rather not meet during that time as well. What we have traditionally done, or traditionally being last year, <laughs> when we had uh, meeting dates that fell on holidays, um, there was some discussion and we can entertain that discussion again today as to what path would be better, whether to move it to July 5th and just have it one day later or move it to one week later. In the past, the decision was to, made to keep the Monday date as um, being the most likely to work for everyone's work schedules and just having the meeting one week later, which would mean in July, we would meet on July 11th instead of July 4th. Um, or we could meet July 5th. <laughs> Does anybody have any strong feelings one way or the other? I would prefer the 5th. I prefer the 5th. I can't be here on the 11th. Any, any objections to the 5th? Or is that good for everyone? Or good? So, sounds like the 5th it is. The same time though, 3.30. Yes, and then I'll look and see what's available in terms of a meeting space for that July meeting and try to get it reserved as quickly as possible. That was a fairly short discussion of that. <laughs> Historically, by which we mean last year, it took much longer. <laughs> All right, then the remaining item under staff updates is uh, just two upcoming events to put on your radar. The first is our electric bus bash, which originally you may recall from last month was to be held on Earth Day. Uh, Earth Day decided to be very rainy this year. So um, it has been postponed to this coming Friday. If it is sunny outside on Friday, we'll be having the location at Riverfront Crossings. If it's going to rain, we're going to have it in the Chauncey Swan ramp across from City Hall. Um, and we can send out a notification to you all so that anyone who is able to attend or interested to attend can. I will say there are a number of folks coming in to speak at this event. Um, in addition to the mayor, we have um, folks who are quite high up in the federal transit um, ad administration authority. Administration, <laughs> that's what I thought. Uh, the FTA is sending uh, some of their folks out to participate in this event. Um, I don't know if you caught, but uh, we had a recent news release about uh, this particular project winning a major award from the FTA as the most collaborative uh, climate-friendly uh, initiative and of a transit agency nationally. Um, so that's how we get some FTA folks coming. 
Uh, Proterra, the company that built the buses, is are also sending folks along, and we have representatives from um, elected officials at the state level coming. So uh, lots of lots of good reasons to be there. Not the least of which is the buses are really cool, and the climate action staff has been hard at work producing buttons for people to have as a commemoration of the event. So uh, we hope some of you will find time in your schedule to join us for that. What time did you say that was? Um, it is going to be from 2 to 4 p.m. this coming Friday. And then the next item on the agenda or upcoming event is the Public Works Open House that will be held later this month. It's going to be at Saturday, May 21st. Um, it is going to be in the new Public Works uh, building which you may also have seen and recently won an award of its own in, recogni in recognition of its uh, excellence in terms of environmental considerations in the design. Um, and it is a really cool facility. The city staff are quite excited to be opening it up. If you have youngsters in your family or in, in your immediate circle, um, some things of note is that the uh, many of the city vehicles are going to be on site and kids will be able to climb up into the cab of those vehicles and sit behind the wheel, which is exciting. Um, there are going to be a number of family-friendly activities, including an indoor uh, roller skating rink set up in one part of the public works building. Our electric buses, we'll have an electric bus there as well. In case you missed the e-bus e bash this week, you can catch it again at the public works open house. Um, there's going to be food trucks on site. The Climate Action Division, among with many other divisions and departments in the city, will have a booth set up um, where we'll be sharing resources with the community. Our AmeriCorps team is going to be there with um, a door frame they've constructed to demonstrate how they do blower door tests, um, which is pretty exciting. And at the end of the evening, there will be a free screening of the movie Field of Dreams outside of the facility. So a lot of fun to be had that day. Um, it is going to run from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with the movie following after five. So um, if you have any free time in that day, it might be a great opportunity to come down and just see what's so cool about this building and learn about some great city resources. Any questions about either of those events? All right. They sound great. And I'll, I will, uh, and I, I will additionally note for the public works open house as for the electric bus celebration, both are accessible by the bike trails. So if you want to add another dimension to your trip or family trip out there, you can bike out there. Thanks, those sound good and appreciation to staff because it takes a lot to put on these kinds of events. So thank you. Um, item number six is unfinished business. Uh, first item A are print materials for the community-based organization or CBO outreach. And we have some materials and discussion. As you may recall, at our last meeting, we had a discussion about ways that uh, our staff could really help support you so that you feel very confident um, going out to speak with these community-based organizations. As part of our discussion in the last meeting, we talked about the possibility of creating maybe a flyer about some climate action offerings that we could be, could be taken along, or um, a suggestion came up that maybe you could take the annual report, which is why it was included in the packet, just to take a look and see if that wouldn't provide enough information perhaps to um, take along. We wanted, as promised, to take this discussion up again. Um, I can start by saying staff has had some um, extended discussion about this as well. 
And one of the realizations we came to um, is that although we are not opposed to making a flyer and certainly can if the commission feels very strongly about that, uh, one of the challenges would be that that flyer would need to be updated pretty regularly, which is a pretty significant investment of staff time. So we started thinking a little about what the alternatives might be. Um, and the idea that we had sort of settled on um, and wanted your thoughts on was to just touch in ahead of any meeting that you would have with uh, CBO and um, just talk about who the point of contact is, what's the nature of the discussions that we've had with them up till now, um, and then just a review of any programs that we think might be of interest to them that you could take along. But we also wanna recognize that the main thing that any of us would be doing in reaching out to these groups is first and foremost, just listening. Um, the most important thing we wanna do is just create a channel of communication between the commission and these groups. So your primary goal going in would really be to introduce yourself as a commission member, um, to say that you're there to learn more about their organization and the things that they do. Um, to listen in on what they have to say, and then to think about um, the kinds of programs that you get updates on every other month. You know, so if you hear somebody saying, oh, well, we really advocate for uh, renters in the community, um, maybe that would remind or serve as a reminder to mention, oh, you might be interested to know in the program we have that provides uh, funding support for putting in EV chargers at uh, multifamily dwellings, for example. Um, and then above all to say, like we don't expect you to have an encyclopedic knowledge of what the commission does. I'm not sure any of us do really, um, but to say, you know, we wanna continue the conversation and then offer to put the person you're speaking uh, with in connection with uh, someone in our office to continue the conversation or to provide more information. Um, and I can say out of experience, uh, I would say eight, eight out of 10 conversations, probably the main question is gonna be what kind of funding opportunities are there. So in prepping you for these conversations, we could sit down and talk about what are the upcoming funding opportunities in particular. So that's top of mind. Um, are there any thoughts on this particular approach or anyone feel strongly? I don't certainly don't wanna discourage you from saying I'd really like a flyer if you really would like a flyer, um, but we're interested in hearing further thoughts on this as we come up with a plan as to how to proceed. I, uh, Stratus um, I, I appreciate <clears throat> you putting together the, uh, the flyer and supporting the outreach that we have. It's the talking points that I think would be concerning for me is making sure that I, not just promising things or speaking extemporaneously too much. Would you want that as a flyer or would you want that as a set of talking points? Uh, the flyer, I mean, same thing. It's just anything that I can kind of understand how staff in the city is thinking about, because that's what it comes down to is what are we actually doing and outside of the general, you know, introduction, I think it's nice to have an understanding of what things we could be offering or discussing mm -hmm. with those communities. Yep. So. A flyer's great to answer your question. Uh, may I ask, are you talking about something that's just for you to use or something to then hand out? No, for, for me to use. I mean, oh, the, then I would, let's, maybe we could just use that if you don't mind, just that to get to oh, the, talk, the you're right, talking, talking points. For, talking yeah, points, yeah, just yeah. because a flyer is sort of a whole other ball of wax. True, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I misunderstood. No, that's okay. So, so. so we would, 
Oh, so Sagland, this we would use the annual update somewhat as a handout. It does have the website on the back. Maybe that could be a little prominent, more prominent or highlighted. Um, and I like the idea of the talking points, but you're, and you're mentioning that it would be somewhat customized each time. So what Stratus might use to go for one presentation or, or discussion, we might have a different one. I guess the only question you mentioned three questions that we could basically ask, you know, the, I think we'd all reasonably want to mm -hmm. be asking those we interact with, and maybe those could just be included. As, and if there's any, at some point, specific questions staff want us to ask, not that it's a survey and we're collecting really hard data, but maybe there's some consistency to some of the questions we ask. So over time, maybe we see some patterns or mm -hmm. um, there's a way to look at it a hol holistically that could be helpful. But I like I think this is a nice balance of something standard and some flexibility. Thank you. Any other thoughts? It sounds like the general plan we've outlined to meet individually or whether it's Zoom or in our office and give you some talking points and go is the workable plan. And we do want to emphasize the real value here is just having a face and a name connected to the commission so that our community-based organizations feel seen and feel like if they have a question that comes up that might relate to climate or might relate to resources available, they know someone to reach out to, right, and are comfortable doing so. So um, your presence is the great offering there, even more so than the information. And we thank you very much for volunteering to help us extend the reach of the office in this way. Wonderful. Not to be, John Fraser, not to be silly, but uh, it's the old, it's, it's not about me, it's about you. Um, yes, I'm on the commission and I'm basically a conduit to make sure that your voice, your organization's voices, plural, are heard. You know, what do you think? What do you want to know? What can we do? What can I communicate? And uh, just be a servant to those other organizations. And perhaps they'll see value in us at, at that point that they perhaps don't see now. If that makes any sense. Yeah, well put. All right, then, if we are comfortable moving on to the next item, um, I'm going to turn the floor over to my colleague, Daniel, who's gonna to talk to you about the revised Income Qualified Energy Efficiency Grant Program. Um, you may recall this is, I believe the third time now we're bringing it forward for some discussion. Um, this time with a bit of good news in addition to a reduced scope, but um, I think it's worth noting that this program's come before you three times just as a way of saying energy efficiency is hard. And I really wanna commend all the work Daniel has done to just really keep moving forward and try to make this a successful effort. Um, and I think we're gonna have lots of things we've learned from it that'll be of value to us with other energy efficiency programs. So that being said, Daniel, take it away. Thank you, Sarah. Um, again, Daniel Bissell, Climate Action Analyst. Um, I just wanna uh, do a quick update of the um, Residential Energy Efficiency Grant Program um, that again, we've uh, brought forward to you uh, a number of times. Um, um, so in order to ensure equity, um, uh, this program has become uh, pre-qualified pre with income verification 
um, for homeowners who have already gone through that process through the Neighborhood and Development Services um, uh, Division for um, their other program, uh, rehab programs. Um, the energy efficiency upgrades um, that we originally put forward on this plan um, was a wide menu, um, including insulation, but also HVAC systems, water heaters, duct sealing, um, a whole menu of, of items that just became unwieldy, especially for a perhaps um, inexperienced or low income uh, homeowner who wouldn't know where to begin. So with our discussions with um, neighborhood and development services, we um, determined it would be easiest um, for us to administer and, e and easier for the homeowner to understand to pare that down, um, just focus on um, one or two items and do a uh, simpler, smaller program, but a phased approach that we could build off of um, years down the road. So um, as you've seen in the, the memo in your packet, um, the program is now focusing on insulation and electrical panel upgrades. Um, the insulation uh, will be um, a minimum of R49, um, again, just blown in attic insulation. Um, and if technically feasible, we can go up to an R60. Uh, the background behind those numbers um, is the International Energy Conservation Code, uh, the latest um, uh, iteration of which um, requires an R60 value of attic insulation. However, um, in our discussions with, with NDS, it became clear that in some older homes, it might not technically be feasible to reach that um, R60 level just due to the space limitations in the attic of an older home. So. Um, we're willing to go down to an R49 um, because that is the current level of um, Iowa building code. Um, we are also including a panel upgrade. Um, some older homes have a 100 amp service panel. Um, we've been told that there are only a few left with a 60 amp panel. Uh, we'd like to, whether it's a 60 or a 100, upgrade this to a 200 amp service panel. Um, this will allow us to make future improvements towards electrification, um, whether it be um, HVAC systems, uh, water heater systems, and um, electric vehicle charging, uh, again, years down the road. So making this improvement now allows us to make um, further energy efficiency improvements down the road, even though a service panel by itself won't see in any energy savings. Um, it does, however, give us the opportunity to um, explore um, a resilience uh, piece. Um, we've been told uh, by NDS staff that um, many homeowners, at the time that they make a service panel upgrade, they make the choice to bury their electrical lines, um, going from instead of an above the roof line mast um, where the electrical, electrical service enters the home, um, taking that underground, which um, gives us the resilience um, uh, benefit of being less vulnerable to ice, wind, tree damage, storm damage. Um, it just makes um, that, uh, burying that connection gives that homeowner um, an extra layer of uh, resilience and protection uh, from blackouts. Um, uh, the budget is the same. Um, we still see that $50,000 budget, which depending on 
on costs um, of individual projects can uh, help us benefit between seven to 25 homes um, a year. Um, and NDS has actually um, identified two, possibly three homeowners uh, with um, installation needs that could be uh, started. Those projects could be started very, very soon. Um, and of course, um, these improvements will be made by qualified contractors. Um, in the case of a service panel upgrade, we are requiring the work be done by a licensed electrician. Um, so uh, the way the program is going to work um, beyond those two or three homeowners that have been identified um, initially, um, all participants of past neighborhood and development services uh, rehab programs will be receiving a letter um, detailing this program, and they will also receive a list with that letter of qualified contractors. Um, it'll be up to the homeowner to hire the contractor, um, but then the city is only entering in an agreement with the homeowner and will then uh, pay the grant funds directly to the contractor, um, making it much simpler uh, for the homeowner and simpler for us uh, to administer the program. Um, as with the prior proposal, um, these homeowners, most have already received an energy audit from uh, AmeriCorps. Those that have not, or if the um, energy audit um, is more than two years old, uh, that will be updated. And then, um, we will want to repeat the energy audit after the installation project is complete um, to see um, exactly uh, the level of improvements that were made. And we will be um, asking for uh, their access to their utility bills um, for a 24 month period, 12 months before the project completion, 12 months after, um, just so we can see some sort of uh, improvement in their uh, energy usage. Um, now, like I mentioned before, this uh, program um, offers a roadmap going forward to make future energy efficiency improvements down the road and future electrification improvements down the road. Um, so uh, this has been um, a year. <laughs> it's taken a year to get to this point, which shows how difficult energy efficiency uh, uh, programs are to uh, to. Um, create and uh, build from the ground up. So uh, we do appreciate your patience and your help and guidance in developing uh, this program. Um, but we really want to um, uh, remind everyone that energy efficiency is an equity action. Um, the less energy that we all use, uh, the less infrastructure needs to be built. And that means the less we all pay, including um, people from you know, disadvantaged communities. Um, Part of this program, we wanted to recognize that paperwork is a barrier to uh, people um, taking advantage of these programs, which is why we don't have any other application process for these uh, homeowners. They've already pre-qualified due to their participation in um, other neighborhood and development services rehab programs. So we already have all the income verification that we need. Uh, we're just ready to move forward on the projects. Um, but this, uh, program does offer a roadmap for the installation working group to hopefully build off of and create a larger installation grant. Um, so we are excited about that prospect of, of um, promoting installation and, and getting Iowa City homes um, the installation that they need to bring all our energy usage down. So uh, with that, I'd like to welcome your comments and questions and any concerns about this and future uh, energy efficiency programs.
done an excellent job. I think that's why there's no questions here. And, um, I uh, one question, oh, Fraser. Question. <laughs> um, of all the pre-qualified homes, do we are do we have the budget to cover all of them, or will there be a limit to the number of participants of the qualified pre-qualified? Um, it the installation costs really vary widely. Um, so it's really hard to nail down the exact number of homes we'll be able to uh, to benefit. I don't have a number of total um, participants in past uh, rehab programs. Maybe Sarah does. Um, what I can say to that point is that we've budgeted $50,000 to cover this program for this fiscal year. Our fiscal year ends at the end of June. So the chance that we're going to run over that is fairly minimal. Um, and what we're looking at as a test case to figure out you know, what the correct annual budget amount should be. Um, that's one of the reasons we're particularly excited that there are already homeowners on board who are at, at this moment looking up contractors to hire in. But just to put a little context to it, um, you may recall the uh, insulation project that we funded through a climate action grant at Deerfield Commons earlier this year. Um, <clears throat> we provided $10,000 uh, toward that project the homeowners association chipped in an additional uh, $7,500. And so for that 17,500, we were able to insulate 24 dwelling units. Um, so we think 50,000 is sufficient for the next two months, but uh, boy, will we be excited to revise that budget if uh, more homeowners sign up than uh, the budget can accommodate. The other side of that is um, what sort of marketing do we do to make sure that we have a goodly number of people that are participating. So maybe we do use all the 50,000. How, how does that planned out, that communications process? Um, we're partnering, and I should note this, when Daniel was referring to NDS, that is Neighborhood Development Services, um, in case you're unfamiliar with the de department here. Um, we're actually doing a multi-channel approach to it. Um, the uh, contact person that each of these homeowners has worked with in the last year of NDS. So the NDS staff uh, member who's worked with them on their rehab projects up to now is the first person to contact them um, about this program to let them know funding is available and that it is a grant program, not a rebate program. So they don't have to put any money up front. Um, that's one of the other adjustments that's been made. Um, our thought is that the message may resonate best coming from a trusted person that they've already successfully worked with um, first. And then the follow-up outreach will come from our office in the form of a letter that's confirming the good news. You heard us right. We're gonna, you know, you can insulate your home for free. Um, and we also have a flyer in development that breaks down the information in a different way so that um, if someone's inclined to read lengthier text, they've got the letter. If someone just wants the bullets, they've got the bullets and the flyer. And then um, our hope is to can just continue following up with these homes. Where I think it'll become very interesting is when we start moving into the tiered approach of the program that Daniel alluded to, where hopefully in the future, we'll be able to follow up with these homeowners ourselves and say, hey, remember when we helped you upgrade your panel and bury those that electric service to your home and insulate your attic, we now have a great opportunity to also upgrade your water heater, right? And then that will sort of, it'll be interesting because it'll shift toward our office, but also of course, we'll have to be doing a multi-channel or a multi-pronged 
marketing, right? Because there'll still be one group that needs to hear about the installation first and foremost, and then there'll be another group moving on to the next phase of the program. And I'm thinking in terms of uh, those other people that probably will never qualify for a program, but will realize the benefit of that if it's marketed. And I don't know whether that happens after the two-year study or as it's going on or all the above, so that everyone in Iowa City, if we could all improve the insulation of our homes, uh, jumps on board because they, they are hearing about these tremendous value gains as a result of the insulation project. So I, I see a lot of marketing efforts that can market to a lot of different audiences, short-term and long-term, and cause people to spend their own money when they see the return on investment that this group is, is enjoying, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I should note, we do hope to make use of the wonderful video that our cable staff produced as well about Deerfield Commons so that um, the folks who are approached about this have a YouTube video they can go to where they hear from other residents and not just from city staff about the difference insulation made for their comfort and their energy bills. And can any of this fit into either upcoming or future climate festivals as part of the tour or the descriptions of uh, what we're doing, uh, whether it's a video or whether it's a actual walk around the town and see what we've done and see what the benefits of this effort have been. Uh, I, I think the more we can do for future festivals is kind of cool. Um, I think of the uh, different Iowa City tours, the art tours and the wine tour and the restaurant tours, uh, climate action tour that maybe it's way down the road, but uh, mm -hmm. I'd like to start thinking about it now as we do these projects so we can show them off uh, appropriately later. It's a great idea. You know, it touches on to one of the other things we talk about a lot as we grapple with why isn't there as much excitement for um, for insulation as there is for something like solar panels. And part of the, I, that discussion is centered on the idea that when you get a solar panel on your roof, everybody can see it and understands it to be a good thing. When you get insulation in your home, it's not even visible necessarily to the homeowner after the time of insulation. And so we've thought a lot about like signs that could be put in the yard, similar to what we've done with the AmeriCorps team in the last year, or just other ways to make the invisible visible so that it's easier to celebrate. And I think a walking tour could probably need signs as well on that walking tour. But yeah, there's a something there, I think, that is in the same thought. I'm being silly, but I envision planting a tree in front of every home where, where we've done this. This is a green home, and here's the proof. They've got this unique tree that only the insulation recipients have uh, been awarded. But that's more investment money, isn't it? <laughs> Goldie pointing out the R value of the house. <laughs> yeah, actually, we have talked about involving Goldie in in the uh, marketing for this. And I should know, I should have said this on the Public Works open house. Um, we are going to have a coloring sheet that has Goldie on it. So Goldie is ready to leave the nest <laughs> and start spreading the good word about climate action in Iowa City. <laughs> Any further questions? No, thank you. Great work. We'll move on then to new business.
the 24-7 initiative, we have Carrie Johansson and Steve Geyer from Iowa Environmental Council. And this is an informational presentation with no uh, decision required. Sarah, did you have some additional info we should know before we get started here? And thank you, Carrie, for your patience while we got through the other items. Yes, um, yes. so just to bring those of you who, for whom this may be the first time you're encountering it up to speed, um, a presentation was brought to the city council members in the last meeting calling for a 24-7 clean energy initiative. Um, we do want to emphasize today that this presentation is the start of a process. There's no decision that's required from the commission as of today. Um, it is something that uh, city council has not yet asked for the commission to make a recommendation on, but we do anticipate as part of the process of weighing this decision that um, you will be called upon to discuss it yourselves and make a recommendation. So we wanted to invite the Iowa Environmental Council, who is um, the force behind bringing this forward, um, to give a presentation today just to give you all a better sense of what this uh, necessarily is calling for um, and to create an opportunity to ask some questions. It will not be the last time you have an opportunity to ask questions. Um, in addition, staff have signed up for a cohort of cities that other cities that are exploring this to look at the tools they're using and um, some of the challenges that they're meeting and some of the benefits that they're realizing. Um, and we do anticipate providing regular updates to this commission about what we are hearing in those discussions as well so that we can um, together make a really informed uh, recommendation when the time comes. So that being said, um, I'm going to dim the lights and turn it over to you, Carrie. And uh, um, for those of you who have the packet with you, the uh, slides that Carrie will be going over today were included so that you can follow along. Great. Thank you so much. Can everyone hear me? Okay. If you can maybe speak up a tiny bit. Um. <clears throat> yes, I will try to project my voice. Um, into the room with you. So no, it was, it was uh, wonderful having the chance to hear all of the wonderful things that you have going on in Iowa City. So I really appreciate actually the opportunity to sit and listen to the careful thought and work that's going into um, all of your climate work, um, including all of the focus on equity um, and delivering programs and, and value to your residents there. So um, congratulations on that. Um, I am going to share a presentation with you today. Get it started here. All right, so um, we are going to just do a, a little overview of 24-7 carbon-free electricity. What is it? Why are people going this direction? Um, what could this mean for Iowa City? Um, and what does it mean for um, the, the Climate Action Commission today? So um, appreciate the introduction. Um, as Sarah said, my name is Carrie Johansson. I'm the Energy Program Director with the Iowa Environmental Council, and I'll be doing part of the presentation today along with my colleague, Steve Geyer, who is our Energy and Climate Policy Specialist at the Council. 
So if you're not familiar with us, the Iowa Environmental Council is a statewide nonprofit organization. We are an environmental umbrella group with 100 um, other organizational and business members across the state. We engage in policy research, ad advocacy, and education, and we work primarily on clean energy and climate and water and land use issues in Iowa. So I don't, I don't have to spend a lot of time telling you why local commitments to climate action are important. Obviously, you are all well aware that that local uh, communities are where climate action happens the most intensely. It's where climate change impacts are felt the most intensely as well. <clears throat> right now, we're in you know a situation where at the state level, we're not seeing forward action on climate. At the federal level, you know, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that we will see some action there, but so far that also has not um, come to fruition. And so that is why I think we've seen over 180 cities nationwide that have committed to a 100% clean energy goal with some cities like Des Moines in 2021 um, reaching even further towards not just a 100% renewable goal, but a 24-7 um, carbon-free energy goal. And we think 24-7 CFE, um, as it's shortened, could really build on Iowa City's already aggressive goals to address the climate crisis um, with your resolution in, uh, that called for accelerated action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, as you are all well aware of. So the Iowa City Council's adoption um, in 2019 um, of the climate crisis resolution was based on the International Panel on Climate Change uh, recommendations. And that committed Iowa City to a 45% reduction of greenhouse gases from 2010 levels by 2030, net zero by 2050. Many of you are probably aware that this year the IPCC came out with even more aggressive recommendations for how we need to start reducing emissions if we are going to meet a 1.5 degree Celsius warming target. Um, this more aggressive action calls for a global reduction in coal uh, in coal use by coal generation by 82% from 2019 levels out through 2030. So we know that in the United States, we are ahead of some other countries in terms of the moves away from coal um, and other fossil fuels, but they, we really need to continue to be a leader, including here in Iowa, to allow um, globally uh, and, and nationally for the US to meet these kinds of really aggressive targets. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, there's a wide variety of the types of goals that are out there that organizations, cities, businesses have used to think about electricity um, and what it means to generate clean electricity. So you can talk, talk about being carbon neutral, um, and that's where you have a goal that um, continues to allow carbon emissions or greenhouse gas emissions, but creates um, some sort of offset or use, utilizes an offset market where there are tree plantings or um, agricultural practices or something like that where you're saying, okay, 
so much carbon is being um, soaked up with this practice. And that's, that's, you know, offsetting the carbon emissions that are still going up into the air. That's considered carbon neutral. Um, you can structure a 100% renewable energy goal. Um, typically that, that uses a mechanism like a renewable energy credit where every uh, megawatt hour of renewable energy that's generated has a credit tied to it. Um, you know, those credits are used to cover all of the kilowatt hours of generation. Um, you know, in some hours you'll have um, coal that's actually being used to generate or gas that's being used to generate. But as long as you purchase enough of those renewable energy credits, that doesn't really matter. You can keep using fossil fuels in those hours um, and use renewable energy in other hours. That's not really... Uh, zero carbon emissions, obviously, even from the uh, description, you can hear that's, that's not going to get us all the way to where we need to be um, to meet those kinds of emissions targets that the IPC says we need. And so really the next level that a lot of folks are talking about now is a 24-7 carbon-free energy structure. And this means that instead of continuing to emit greenhouse gases and then using offsets or um, credits to compensate, you just don't have those emissions happening in the first place. And that's really where we need to move the grid to overall. So every kilowatt hour of electricity consumption is met with a carbon-free resource in every hour on every grid where electricity is consumed. It means carbon-free energy for everyone who plugs in their car or turns on an appliance um, all the time. And that's, that's really um, the ultimate goal um, overall. So one thing um, we know that, you know, in, in Iowa City's aggressive climate goals, um, part of what Iowa City and a lot of cities have relied on is um, that we do have a lot of renewable energy already constructed in Iowa, that we, um, you know, we have um, uh, Mid-American Energy has made a 100% renewable energy pledge. Um, however, this is the kind of um, renewable energy pledge that I described in the middle uh, section where you uh, continue to have fossil fuels being used in some hours as you are um, offsetting that with um, renewable energy. And so, you know, it's, it's very clear, you know, even in the statement about electricity uh, usage and Mid-American's goal um, in the Accelerating Iowa City's Climate Action um, report here, uh, it says very clearly that Mid-American energy will continue to use its natural gas, nuclear, and coal-fueled plants to ensure reliable electric service in times of low wind. Um, and so, you know, we know that we can't just have wind energy in Iowa in order to get to 100% renewable energy. We do need a variety of resources, and so, um, but but fossil fuels are not going to make the grade when it comes to a climate um, a climate pledge. So I did cover, you know, what carbon-free 24-7 energy is. You know, this is really what we're talking about today and what we hope that um, the Climate Action Commission will uh, eventually recommend that the city council consider is this 24-7 carbon-free construct. 
from a policy standpoint, this is really the most up-to-date and genuine decarbonization commitment that a local government can make to act on climate. So, you know, we already described how the system works, how, you know, even with a 100% renewable energy goal, Iowa City is still going to be responsible for um, emissions of greenhouse gases to serve um, its electric needs in, cert in, in certain hours. However, with 24-7, you know, we get to that next level of carbon emission reduction. We talked about climate change. That's obviously, you know, a huge driver for reason to do this, but there are really a variety of other reasons. And Steve is going to go into more detail on some of these. So I'm going to hit some points at a high level and, and hang tight and he will, he will dive into more detail on some of the cost information and things like that here. Um, you know, Iowa is just really has a hugely abundant wind and solar resource. Um, we have um, a lot of, of space to go in terms of developing that resource um, to supply our own needs. We know that updates to the grid and um, as well as you know, increased access to storage um, and other technologies will be necessary to get to 24 seven. But really, if we're gonna have um, a 100% renewable energy system, Iowa is really good, a good place to start. Um, Obviously, clean energy uh, from a health standpoint um, and a climate standpoint, um, just pollution overall, um, you're not going to ha have the same kind of negative impacts you get, especially with coal, um, the air and water impacts of coal. Um, but in addition to all of the impacts that happen with um, fossil gas production, um, both at its source um, and in burning um, methane gas, and then, you know, investing in renewables and energy efficiency, you already know, um, you're already seeing, you will see soon some of the impacts in this, in your community of driving high quality um, local jobs and investment um, right there in Iowa City. Um, Steve will hit more on, on how new clean energy resources are actually cheaper than operating uh, many existing coal plants. And so, um, it's really going to be more expensive to keep burning coal than to make this transition away. Um, and uh, Steve is going to talk about a synapse energy analysis that, um, you know, your utility that serves um, you there in Iowa City could actually save $1.2 billion by retiring coal plants by 2030. Um, so we really think that's the direction um, MidAmerican ought to go on this to complete the transition. Um, we also, you know, there are a variety of folks who are engaged in conversations and really exciting work around 24-7. I mentioned Des Moines as a leading city in the nation on this. Um, I'll go a little bit more into some other large customers in the state who are working on this problem, working on these solutions. And the more people who get involved and the more um, the more electricity that we're using to you know, leverage this goal, um, the easier and lower cost it's gonna be for everybody to participate and accelerate the transition. 24 seven, I, I'm gonna kind of walk you through here some different levels where we're seeing 24 seven really start to spread. So it's not just the Des Moines City Council resolution in January of 2021, um, which committed to community-wide carbon-free electricity. 
We've had some other little cities around the country, smaller cities um, commit to this as well. Ithaca, New York, South Lake Tahoe, California. Um, we know of other cities that are out there considering joining this. Um, we hope Iowa City is among them. Um, but we also have a large footprint of tech customers here in Iowa with these types of 24-7 carbon-free energy commitments, including Google and Microsoft. Um, and, and as they use more 24-7 uh, clean electricity resources, we think it's exciting the opportunities to potentially um, learn from and partner with those types of entities. The Biden administration's goal for uh, clean energy and the electricity sector as a whole is structured around a 24-7 goal um, to have the entire nation on 24-7 clean electricity by 2035. And then we're actually seeing this happen at an international level as well. The United Nations has a compact on 24-7 carbon-free energy. Um, there are other national and international efforts that are going on around this. And I'm going to hand it over to Steve. Thanks, Gary. So yeah, so let's talk about the Synapse report or the Synapse study and uh, in essence what it actually contained. So what they did was they evaluated um, if we shut down all the coal plants by 2030 and we replace that generation with a combination of, of other forms of generation or importantly, it also included a large portion of energy efficiency. So they looked at adding a, a sizable amount of wind, uh, similarly a sizable amount of solar, um, a, I'll call it a healthy increase in energy efficiency savings but then also took in the aspects of we operate within a grid. And so by having transmission available and having the ability to buy energy from portions of that grid from other places, that's what allows us to then uh, reliably, by the way, meet all the requirements that Iowa's ha Iowans have with renewable sources as opposed to having the fossil resources and in particular the coal resources continue to operate. By doing so, they were able to look at and show that the ratepayers would actually save $1.2 billion. And that's a low end estimate, by the way. The high end estimate that they had was actually $5 billion if we were to move forward with renewable and eliminate the coal by 2030. I think many of you probably already know um, the current at least plan or at least announcement that Mid-American has made that that they don't intend to have all coal gone until 2049. Uh, they've also indicated that they will um, basically eliminate the natural gas generation they have, which primarily is just one facility, then by 2050. Clearly, uh, we believe it's better and cheaper for customers to move on past coal. Uh, and then focus on the IPCC and a little bit of addition in terms of what that actually means. So when they, the IPCC sets this net zero by 2050 in terms of what that means, what it means and what their definition is, is that all of our greenhouse gas emissions must, that we emit must be effectively countered by an equal amount of withdrawal. And so whether that withdrawal of carbon emissions is uh, due to plants, meaning vegetation, uh, whether it is uh, calls for, for instance, direct capture 
meaning that actually there are plans to actually draw it out of the atmosphere and sequester it. But it does not mean, uh, for instance, waiting until 2050 to actually get to uh, an elimination of coal resources. In fact, that's also now our new, what's called the NDC. So when the Biden administration set the goal for having the 2035 carbon-free energy within uh, the US, that became our new national uh, determined contribution, which then goes back to the IPCC itself as they determine whether or not we are gonna be able to meet the 1.5 degrees. And by the way, this is a, a moving scale. Every time one of these reports comes out, which is importantly what just happened in 2022, even though at one point in time, uh, it looked like we had maybe more time to move, it now becomes apparent that we have less time to actually make these moves. And importantly, what we need to consider is that when one sector, in particular fossil fuel and generation, doesn't actually aggressively move forward, then it becomes something that multiplies on the other sectors. In fact, making it possibly even, you know, um, the situation where other sectors can't even avoid their emissions or meet that target. So obviously we look at this as um, certainly the ability to uh, have the utility move more aggressively and pairing at them with also local actions. Okay, next slide, there we go. So let's just take a look and see where are we uh, in the state of Iowa as far as our greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel consumption. And so we're just gonna concentrate on three sectors. Uh, and these three sectors tend to be, um, for the most part, the, um, the highest sources of greenhouse gas emissions. There's another one, by the way, that uh, also tends to be in here, but these are the three that I'm gonna focus on. So if you take a look at electric generation, um, we certainly have seen a, a decline from 2011 to 2020. Um, there's been a somewhat, I'll call it reversal of fortune on electric generation where uh, some of the declines we see in 2019, 2020 timeframe um, clearly were associated with the effects from the pandemic. Uh, 2021, we saw a dramatic, I'll just say reversal and increase in generation. We can't see that from the Department of Natural Resources because the report that will show 2021 actually won't be submitted until the end of 2022. But as we look at transportation, um, it remains relatively constant over time. If we look at uh, um, the residential commercial industrial, that also climbed as you'll see, but similarly, that was an impact uh, they believe that was reflecting the pandemic and more utilization in particular um, at home. So where are we in terms of our generation mix? And certainly we have uh, seen dramatic change um, just from 2008 to 2021. So in 2020, uh, 2008, um, we really did have uh, almost, I'll say, you know, a majority of our generation clearly from coal. Uh, we had a little bit of wind, uh, a little bit of nuclear, uh, a little bit of other, which included everything from the hydro to the biomass, et cetera, and some natural gas, but predominantly coal. Now, as I think we've all seen, we've seen the wind turbines going up in Iowa now, over time. They, they continue to populate the landscape uh, and that's showing in terms of also in terms of our generation mix. So in 2021, 
Uh, that was actually 57% of the generation in Iowa. Natural gas uh, climbed a little bit up to 9%. Coal declined to 30, 32% in 2021. Again, that was actually um, quite a bit more than it was in 2020. 2020, I believe it was 22%. So it was actually a 10% uh, increase just in 2021 from 2020. And uh, other declined a little bit uh, down to 2%, but that's just a reflection on overall generation as a percentage of change due to the total amount of generation. You'll notice the nuclear uh, basically disappeared uh, and so this chart is actually just showing the generation sources that are in Iowa itself. And so that nuclear that was 10% in 2008 actually represented Dwayne Arnold, which of course closed uh, and is no longer in our resource mix. However, we do have some nuclear that MidAmerican owns, but that's located in Illinois and uh, actually comes to us from Illinois. So what is the generation mix basically? Uh, this one actually shows then uh, what Mid-Americans mix is, and it includes that nuclear that they get from the Quad Cities, uh, represents 12%. This is the 2021 mix. The wind, you'll notice, is 57% um, for Mid-Americans overall generation. Again, what they generate uh, and what they deliver to whether it's customers or whether it's basically selling that electricity to others. Um, the coal basically is 30% or was 30% in 2021. Natural gas, 3%, um, they don't really generate a lot from natural gas. Uh, again, they have one plant in Des Moines uh, and some peaker plants around the state, but by, by and large, uh, their two primary sources are wind and coal. Uh, the wind generation actually went down uh, from uh, 2020. In 2020, it was actually 60%, and that was actually the statewide number. Uh, but again, we've seen somewhat uh, changes due to a couple factors. Uh, one factor was natural gas prices went up. And so the natural gas plants in Iowa didn't operate as much in 2021. Uh, and similarly, uh, the coal plants actually were being operated quite a bit more. And that was primarily due to, uh, again, um, we're past pandemic and increase in overall demand. So I wanna talk a little bit about sort of this slide and the way I view this slide. And so we're gonna see the, the tall bars, the dark blue bars represents what MidAmerican sells to their customers. And so customers uh, by definition are entities that have a utility meter, um, whether they're you know residential, commercial, industrial, but importantly, um, they're not basically, for instance, uh, metered. And so when a utility sells energy to other entities for wholesale or what they classify as sales for resale, that's what the um, different color or the basically I'll call it the, the shorter bars represent. And primarily that basically is, is energy that um, often will be a combination. In fact, when I look at this, think of basically the representation that Mid-American makes in terms of um, their pledge for renewable energy and, and layer that onto that um, darker bar. And so for instance, if they say they're gonna have 80% or even 100% renewable, that's only a representation that says they're going to generate well, from renewable the equivalent of that bar. 
But yet, what you really have to do is you have to stack those two bars on top of each other to see a true representation of you know, how much do we actually have in terms of renewable compared to uh, what we generate with the coal, which was evident from the previous slide showing the basis uh, and how much they generate from coal versus wind. So I just want to sort of stress that, that they've, they're very clear um, in their pledge that they're not providing renewable, they are actually generating the equivalent of what they basically provide to their retail customers. And so as Carrie said, I'm gonna talk about sort of prices and I wanna basically get into this aspect in terms of uh, whether we're seeing the wind generation increasing in Iowa, whether we're seeing now the uh, increase in terms of uh, proposals for large-scale solar. And there's a very good reason that we are actually seeing this. Uh, and it really comes down to what is the cost of generation. And so Lazar puts out an annual report that basically um, says, what is the cost of generation? Now, this particular slide, and they, by the way, they do many forms of this analysis, but this one's important because it represents the unsubsidized analysis, meaning you may hear many times uh, individuals say, will say that, well, the only way that uh, either solar or wind is competitive is with a tax credit. And certainly, although the tax credit is a motivating factor um, to build it, the reality is even if the tax credit was not even there for either form of generation, it's still today now the cheapest and the lowest cost form of generation that we actually can build. And also importantly, this is true even with, now this represents uh, the, the darker bars represent basically if you were to build new facilities for each of these. And so you'll see the conventional, in other words, fossils down below. Uh, and that would be a cost and a range of costs if you were to build that new plant, uh, for instance, a new gas peaker or a new coal plant versus new solar or new wind, what you're seeing up on the top section. But those little uh, gold diamonds, those are relatively important because that represents, uh, and by the way, particularly when I look at the, the combined cycle down below in terms of the gas, um, gas, as you may know, is, is, is very, very dependable on, as far as the cost generation uh, to what the fuel costs. And so when gas prices went up this past year, um, we actually saw something different in terms of not only operating less, but the cost. But those gold ones represent existing generation. And especially as Iowa looks at our coal plants, the same holds true for our coal plants. Our coal plants cannot compete with new generation either from solar or wind. Uh, and so this is, again, I'm just gonna poise this as, as this is why we see these resources being built. And that's why we'll see them continue to be built uh, as we move through time here. And that's next slide. And with that, I will pass it back to Carrie. Yeah, I'm just gonna wrap up here. I really appreciate the time and attention of the commission to this. Um, you know, I think that you all have a really good understanding of the fact that carbon-free electricity, get, getting to 100% carbon-free is really a fundamental building block of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The electric sector is sort of the low-hanging fruit in terms of 
you know, we, we know most of how to do this. Um, and the policy drivers that are going to get us the rest of the way there um, will happen through policies like 24 seven uh, carbon free energy, which will can drive the innovation of the last, um, the last pieces that we need to get all the way there. Um, you know, it's already, you know, adopting a 100% renewable goal is all or already a very common thing. One in three Americans lives in a community with a renewable electricity goal, you know, all over the US. But what we're talking about here is how do we take even that to the next level to say, we're really serious about climate action um, and getting to zero carbon emissions in the electric sector on a timeline that works for uh, our community and um, and for addressing climate change. So we are happy to answer any questions. Um, like I said, we hope that the commission um, will eventually recommend that the city council um, consider a 24 seven uh, CFE resolution. Um, Iowa City has really been a leader on climate action and uh, we would love to be um, to help you um, in any way we can to to move forward um, uh, and continue that leadership. Thanks. I realize that's a lot of information, the Soglin speaking, a lot of information for the commissioners. Um, and I think what we might, I would just like to suggest for questions, maybe if some of us might have multiple questions, but maybe what we could do is we each ask one question and then kind of let everybody have a turn to ask at least one question. I just want to be mindful of the time since we normally do wrap up right at five. So we have about a little less than 20 minutes. So if, if we could maybe use that method that if once you've asked a question, if another commissioner has a question, let that person have a turn, um, if that's okay with everybody to use that generally. Mm -hmm. okay. So, um, I don't know if it's still in one And just remember, say your name for- Yeah, this is Ina Lynch. Um, Thank you. I So I'm just wondering if, if we do make this pledge, do you then like, do you have sort of a roadmap or supporting resources? Like how do we actually move the pledge forward and, you know, and see it through and act the pledge, I guess. Um, and I'm along with that sort of curious about um, options other than ut utility scale, um, solar and wind, like our, do you have resources or thoughts around decentralized sort of more energy democracy um, models that get us also towards resiliency and not just replacing? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. So, um, so Sarah mentioned, you know, the co the cohort that is coming together around cities that are looking at 24 seven renewable um, goals. Um, we think, you know, that's always a great model for people to learn from one another. Um, we also know that there are um, folks who are developing sort of uh, as straightforward as possible tools for cities to use um, so that it is not a huge burden that, you know, 
by using the energy data that you uh, can get from your uh, utility as a city. Um, it's sort of plug and play, um, plug in your numbers, um, look at, uh, you know, have enough information as well about what the MISO grid is doing for that to figure in um, to contribute to um, where you're at from a 24-7 standpoint. Um, and we know that, you know, there's at least, um, you know, one, one really good developer who's working on these kinds of tools that will be available for cities to use for free. Um, there are other folks who obviously are going to be developing these kinds of tools trying to make money off of them, but we know that there will be um, free tools available to make this simple for cities and, and support from um, uh, other nonprofit organizations who are working on this. Um, can you can you send along resources like that so that you might already have that we could look at to just see practically what it looks like? Yes, I will uh, find out exactly um, what I have to send you and I will send it your way through Sarah. Thanks. Um, and then I wanted to address like the, the piece that, yeah, this, is, this should not just be about utility scale, um, wind and solar, uh, you know, it's, super important that communities um, engage in this in a way that has ripple effects for their communities because um, yeah, it's not, uh, this shouldn't simply be a money-making um, uh, proposition for, uh, for utilities. You know, they're there to provide the service, but the resiliency benefits that you mentioned are so important when I, you know, when I see Iowa City's climate plan, when I hear the discussions that you're having, you know, I know um, the recent solar study that was completed in the area. I think that it's really important that, like, this isn't a box to check um, and sort of move on. Like, oh, the utility did it. We have nothing more to do. Um, I do think that piece of, you know, how do you use solar and storage and electric vehicles, for instance, to increase resiliency or set up emergency warming shelters or, um, you know, phone charging stations or whatever it is that you need during, you know, what we're going to see is increasing um, uh, climate impacts regardless um, of how much action we're able to take. We've, we're already seeing it. And so um, I think that this policy is one is one policy in a larger toolkit of the way that the city needs to be and is already, I think, focused on making sure the community is a part of those solutions and not just not just the utility, right? Thank you. Hey, uh, so this is Stratus Yanakuros. Um, maybe this is directed to Steve and Carrie both, but. When I'd seen the third installment or the third um, piece of the AR6 assessment, it looked to me like they had stuck with that 2045 to 2055 range for decarbonizing um, electricity in order to stay below one and a half degrees C, which, so if you could show me where they moved it to 2030, is, is that what Steve said that 2030 is the new target for, for going to net zero um, electricity? The IPCC had updated that. Um, be interested to see that, unless I misunderstood the slide or the comment. And then, um, 
and then secondarily, um, looking at some some of these processes here, the thing is like, so Iowa City, as you know, we're we're not a, a muni, right? Utility. So to, you know, on one hand to say we should, because I, I agree with the democratization of solar, rooftop solar, et cetera, if, it, if they're not willing to interconnect our net meter at the rate that it's going to be required to do that, it's just not, it's not a solution, right? So I think the thing is like, again, what the, what the utility is willing to do in terms of allowing people to, to net meter to make that solar, the solar energy work at the utility scale too, it seems to me like 24 seven really is asking because so, so we're not immune, right? So it limits our options of the range of things we can do. But because we have Mid-American as the provider in Iowa City, essentially 24 seven, doesn't it simply just become us asking them to make us more renewable on a basis that's not kind of shifting around assets? Because you could say that Iowa City, right? They're already saying we're going to make you 100% net zero. So as a city, we could say we got ours and we're off the table. Our citizens feel pretty good. The utility is giving us this. Let someone else in the state or across the border get coal energy or coal, coal electrons. So our argument is basically to push the utility to do things outside of the city, because in general, it's, it's additionality we're looking for. Um, can, you, can you comment on that? Well, I'll, I'll start, I guess, to, yeah, in terms of going back to your first point in terms of um, the recent IPCC. Um, that basically, it didn't change in terms of as they looked at it from a global level. But then when we layer on what the administration put forward again, which then becomes our, our new national NDC, um, it actually says that in fact, by 2035, the US should be carbon-free electricity. Uh, so that's the change. And, and that actually, even though it, uh, because of the timing of, of, I'll just say, being out of the Paris Agreement and now back in the Paris Agreement, um, it's not an officially recognized NDC yet, but that mm -hmm. is our new NDC. So that's the distinction between what the overall IPCC report says and sort of what our new NDC is. Was that was that part of that because um, we have to ramp down faster to allow the developing world to ramp up? And it's, that was in recognition that, that the top 15% plus top 1% especially needs to decarbonize faster to allow for that overshoot. Or not overshoot, but you know the rest of the world to, to yes. get reliable electricity. Yes, and it also has to do with taking a look at even within the US then, that same principle applies. We have to more rapidly move the electric sector because other sectors are very dependent on the electric sector actually moving forward towards, towards zero. In particular, residential, commercial, industrial is a sector that has to see a much faster uh, and, and can't, can't wait for that, whether it's the 2045 or the 2050 timeframe to actually see that sector move down. Um, yeah, thank, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for your um, your other question as well about. Um, I hope you can hear my daughter uh, in the background. Um, Steve, do you want to jump in on that one? We yeah, can't yeah. hear her. Don't worry, we can't hear. Her. Okay. <laughs> yes. So to address that, um, 
yeah, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of uh, how much can be accomplished uh, and yes, the whole aspect of interconnection. Um, so if we take a look at just Iowa, as far as how much has occurred in the state regarding net metering, I think between the two investor owns, the total amount is somewhere around roughly, I'm just gonna say 300 uh, megawatts worth of solar has been interconnected on the grid so far. Um, the net metering law that was passed two years ago, is very helpful. Uh, it's certainly, um, certainly at least for purposes of moving forward, says that we will have that full compensated value on, on basically on the excess kilowatt hours, at least until we reach the point. And, and by the way, the trigger is gonna be either um, 2027 uh, or will be basically a 5% penetration level. Um, I think we're gonna hit the date before we hit the penetration level, just uh, particularly based on what's happening right now in terms of solar costs moving back up and supply chain issues. Uh, as far as addressing the aspects of um, overall, what we're going to need to see, yes, we need to see that continue, but there has to be a recognition, too, that we're talking about uh, the ability or the need to potentially replace uh, a fossil fleet that is somewhere in the, I'll just say, 5,000 megawatt range. Um, that's a lot of generation, and that's generation that is, as I think you probably know, uh, what they call fully dispatchable, available 24-7. Uh, and so when we move to that intermittent resource where its capacity factor may only be in the 22% uh, range, um, you're going to need a lot of that. And so there are limitations that uh, um, are going to come along with meeting a, a timeline uh, and, and basically where are those resources going to come from. So clearly we have to see a, a large portion of that be utility scale. But yes, we are fully supportive of you know, democratization or increases in the ability of individuals to actually do this themselves too. Uh, John Fraser, I, um, I love the last slide because it says policy drives innovation. And I got all excited as a member of the delegation from Iowa City that went to the Paris climate meetings and heard Jerry Brown, I think this is the first time I ever heard that expression, that policy drives innovation. Jerry Brown was just screaming it to the rafters. And uh, the deniers were saying, don't worry, when we run out of oil, basically, run out of coal, run out of carbon as a source of our energies, the innovation will follow, which is a, a great denier statement. Stratus hit something I think very important about Mid-American, that one of those charts that showed 9% uh, natural gas, if there's zero coal, I'd, I'd be really happy to fill that 9% natural gas and zero coal with uh, alternatives. And I don't know if we can pull it off. We have to try, there's no question about it. We have to try. I spent a lot of years in California and worked with EGIA and they would go out and they'd have energy saving programs around the country with energy efficient appliances. And the only reason they, the, the power companies went along with this is every time that they invented a new energy efficient program, they would be allowed to build another power plant. <laughs> 
And so the game they play is uh, I'm going to, as, uh, as the power plant, as an energy provider, I'm going to win. And the politics involved in this are going to get very, very thick and very heavy, particularly when we start initiating policies that force more replaceable um, energy, more solar, more, more wind, more whatever, and things we haven't even thought about. Uh, we have some ability in Iowa City to pull these off. Uh, I'm thinking beyond Iowa City, I'm thinking all of Iowa. And then I think about the Iowa legislature and say to myself, good luck with uh, policies that are gonna drive innovation. So I, I, I'm not saying that uh, we can't do this. I'm just saying the politics are going to be really thick and really heavy and really be unbelievable barriers to, in my opinion, really honest CFE efforts. I, I see that cities are, are saying they're gonna do this and I'd like to say that Iowa City is gonna do it and I'll, I'll back the city council saying they're gonna do it knowing that, well, this is really going to be hard, but nobody said it would be easy. I just I hope everyone understands the political implications in the war that we're going to get in in pulling this off. Because this is a, these are just acronyms. They sound easy. This is a huge step from where we are right now. It's, it's, uh, it's a bigger step, in my opinion, than the steps we've already taken. Not to say we don't need to attempt them, we do. And we need to go in with our eyes open and realistic and understand that, wow, this is, uh, this is gonna be hard. Because the power companies and the oil companies wanna use every last ounce of oil under the ground before they give up and go totally to building their business around wind. Mid-Americans doing a great job and they have some other interests in their portfolio. And I don't think it's gonna be that easy to to turn them into a 100% renewable energy organizations as much as we'd like to think that's what mid-Americans going to do. They will, but in my estimation, they'll never do it until there's no coal in the ground, there's no oil in the ground. Well, we say, okay, policy will drive this. And all, all I'm saying is, wow, it's gonna be hard. I, I'm willing to fight that war. I'm willing to promote this in any way that I can. And it's going to be a bigger battle, I think, than just changing the acronyms. And I'm being a little facetious. You know that you're 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times smarter than I am on these issues. This, this is a big bite. It's huge. Thanks, John. I, I would agree, by the way. I'll just make a couple of comments real quick. Um, so I think it's very unlikely that we will see Mid-American uh, entertain any expansion of fossil resources on their part. And so when we look at the natural gas side of that, um, they've had chances to put in additional natural gas plants, but they don't. And primarily because they recognize that natural gas facilities um, suffer from that volatility um, that is associated with natural gas as a resource itself. Um, but in terms of their future, uh, they've pretty much, I, I will just say, already told us what their plan is. Um, they are very, um, I'll just say, set on making nuclear 
a, an additional portion of their resource mix. And with their recent uh, WIM Prime filing, in fact, uh, want to explore um, nuclear and, and their form of nuclear, by the way, in terms of what they call modular nuclear. Um, just take a look at Terra Power, which is the Bill Gates firm. Um, and so the version that they would bring to Iowa would be taking one of the existing coal plants, stripping out the coal-fired boiler and inserting a small nuclear reactor um, with a large thermal reservoir. Um, so they've indicated how they will move forward. Uh, and they've, they've also said that they will have no fossil resources, at least by 2050. Um, thank you. For, I need to note that we are just upon five o'clock here. And unlike council meetings that can pretty much run endlessly, ours do not. But um, we thank you very much. This was a very you know, complicated topic that you uh, shared with us. Um, so I, I, there may have been questions. I know I had a few that, um, Sarah, would it be best if we email you questions or just save them for next time? What would be the best route forward on that? Just save, save questions for next time or? Um, Why don't we give staff an evening to think that through? Okay. And we'll email you sure. what we think the best next step is. Okay. Um, yeah, this is not something obviously we're deciding at this moment or certainly not even in one more meeting. So. Um, so with that, I, we thank uh, both of you very much. Uh, yeah, two more meetings, we'll have it wrapped up. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making that promise, but, uh, <laughs> but um, we thank you for being on the line here. I, so we will, we have one more quick agenda item that we will move on to. So thank you again for your time on that. Yeah. Um, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. And, um, our last item then is to recap the actionable items for the commission, the working groups and staff. It sounds to me like the only actionable item we have coming out of this is that staff needs to email you um, in the coming week about whether to submit your questions to us or whether to save that discussion for the next meeting. Does that sound right? I and my only question is whether an actionable item also is for those of us who have a, uh, are wanting to go and listen to some of the community groups, can we possibly start initiating some of that now? Or do you want us to wait a little bit to have some more time, get past these big events that are held and maybe start those in June? Um, yeah, maybe if we look at June, I'm, I'm just saying that recognizing a staff capacity that uh, Daniel and I are both going to be taking a vacation in the coming weeks. Well deserved. So, so okay. So let's this, wait till June to meet that's on fine. that. Let's have a one one actionable item that you'll follow up with us. And um, we do know that the solar study group will be meeting one more time. So if there are any questions then on what we are all up to, and just a reminder that our next meeting will be July 5th. So don't party so much on, oh no, June, June, sorry. We will still have a meeting in June. I'm leaping ahead. <laughs> sorry, leaping ahead. We have a meeting in June. I don't know what date it is. First June, Monday. June 6th at the Iowa Public Library meeting room A. We'll stick with that for now. One meeting at a time. <laughs> and with that, um, is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn, Stratus. I'll second. Sec second by Lena Lynch. And thank you, we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody.